in Luke chapter 2, verse 14. It says, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. That's from the ESV translation of the Bible that we read here at Coastal. But you may be more familiar with the phrasing in that verse where it simply says, peace on earth and goodwill toward men. Peace on earth and goodwill. Well, it's the Christmas season. Mariah Carey has been defrosted and is now playing on the airwaves. And this is the time of year you're going to see all sorts of phrases and themes repeated. You're going to see them on mugs in stores, signs in stores. Um, You're going to see them on cards. You're going to see them online in movies. And one of the themes that is often repeated every single year is this whole idea about peace on earth. In fact, peace on earth, joy, these these are themes that are repeated every single Christmas season. But how many years have you been hearing that? How many, years, how many years have you been hearing peace on earth? Is it even possible in today? In fact, the, a verse that we're going to read from today in the Bible, in Philippians chapter 4, we're going to be in this passage. This passage even said that there is a peace of God that surpasses all understanding. But do you feel like that's possible? Is peace right now? in 2022, in our world, possible? Forget about the rest of the world. What about right here in our city? Is peace possible? Is it even possible in your home, in your heart, or even in your mind? In fact, I wonder how many of you would even admit this morning that what you've been feeling and thinking in this season has been the opposite of peace. In fact, between 2018 and 2019, some researchers in America, they actually surveyed a bunch of people, and they found that between 40 to 60% of Americans struggle with extreme worry or anxiety. That was in 2018 and 2019, before the pandemic and before the world went crazy. In fact, there was even some reports that showed that amongst high school students and college-age students, that the people who struggle with extreme worry or anxiety may be as high as 80 or even 90%. But what about you? Do you feel peace? Do you feel anxiousness? Are you even waking up in the middle of the night? Have you ever noticed that when you wake up in the middle of the night, it isn't usually because you're being overwhelmed with peace? When you wake up at 2 a.m., you aren't like, God, thank you so much. I feel so much peace right now. There's so much joy in my heart right now. Everybody loves me. I got to pet a kitten a little bit earlier today. God, life is so good right now at 2 a.m. And when you wake up at 2 a.m., it's usually because there's something that is on your heart that has been rolling around in your mind that you're either concerned about, worried about, or even anxious about. I thought I might take some time today and just define what those words worry and anxiety actually mean. Before we get into this passage, if you're thinking about worry and anxiety, worry is usually defined as this. And this comes from what I've learned from the Bible, what I learned when I was in school, but worry is ruminating, which is meditating on, chewing on, gnawing on, ruminating on what might happen 
which is usually negative. And then anxiety is, yes, ruminating on, but also beginning to feel overwhelmed by what might happen, usually negative. In fact, sometimes when we think about anxiety, when it actually shows up in our lives, like there's actually a spectrum of anxiety that can come up in our lives. And, and I wanted to see if you are anywhere on the spectrum today. When anxiety creeps up into our lives, there's evident in our lives, you can feel any of these things. I mean, it could come out in the form of nervousness, in the form of stress, feeling fear, feeling fear and letting fearful thoughts just ruminate and roll around in your mind. Man, it can come in waves of worry or panic attacks, hyperventilating or heart palpitations, feelings of despair or terror, and thinking it's always going to be this way. Man, hypochondrianism, where even though you feel sick, you're thinking you're sick, you go to the doctor and they say, look, there's nothing wrong with you, but yet you feel like all the time that something is going on inside your body. Selective mutism, and I'll come back to that one in just a minute. PTSD is a form of anxiety. And then agoraphobia, which is this fear of being in certain environments where there's certain environments around either groups of people or individuals because you fear they're going to hurt you either emotionally, physically, or they're going to give you some type of disease or sickness. Church, are you on the spectrum today? One of the first times I can remember feeling and noticing that I was actually struggling with anxiety was actually in middle school. I don't know what it was about that particular time in my life, but I can remember dreading going to school. In fact, every single day when school would come out, I wasn't a Christian then, but I would pray that God would actually send a sickness my way so that I would have to stay home. I mean, I'm, I think I remember praying for the, the chicken pox, the flu, anything with a fever where my mom might say, okay, like you do have to stay home today. I remember dreading going to school so much that I could not wait for the school day to be over, for summer break to come, for Christmas break to come. I could not wait for school to finally be over because I just dreaded going to school. And then I went through this season where in school I would not talk to anybody. In fact, it was a case where if you came up to me, you would have to ask me a yes or no question so I could shake my head yes or shake my head no. And if you asked any other question, I would shrug my shoulders and just stare off into the distance until you walked away. And I didn't realize it at the time until later when I was studying psychology in school that what that was is actually a form of social anxiety, which was called selective mutism, where even though I was absolutely able to talk, I decided not to talk because of a specific environment that caused anxiety to grow in my heart and to grow in my mind. And during that time, anxiety ruled my heart. And since then, I've had so many times where it's tried to do the same. Let me just say, church, that whether you felt the sting of worry or anxiety, or you've been feeling overwhelmed by those thoughts and feelings, wherever you are on the spectrum, you are not alone. In fact, it's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to stay that way. 
And wherever you might fall on the spectrum, I just want to remind you again today, as we've been talking about, in essence, mental health, like during this Christmas season, I just want to remind you today that you don't have to go through that alone. You have pastors and counselors and a community here for you to be able to talk with you, to pray with you, and to help you. Let me just also say that when we talk about mental health during this Christmas season as a church, we do not deny that talking to a counselor and even getting medication in a season can be good. But wherever you are on the spectrum today, don't forget that this battle with anxiety in your mind, this is also a spiritual battle as well. Mental health, emotional health is spiritual health. In fact, the passage we're going to look at today in Philippians chapter 4 is so powerful, and it is so good, and it can really help you wherever you might find yourself on the spectrum today. And whether anxiety might be serving as an alarm for you, or whether right now it might even be leading you, wherever you are, this passage is powerful enough to help you. I titled today's message, Peace is Here, and it's available right now. It's available right now, even if it's been weeks and months and years that you felt this way. Because right now, God can give you freedom and he can give you his peace. The peace that Jesus brought when he first came into earth in his first advent is one that is available. Peace on earth isn't necessarily talking about, hey, everyone getting along, but it's talking about peace in your own heart. That is available to you today. But the good news is that his coming again also still brings peace. So today we're going to read this passage in Philippians chapter 4, and then I want to share with you the ways that Jesus is coming and his coming again brings peace. So turn your Bible, digital or analog, to Philippians chapter 4, and listen to what the Apostle Paul writes starting in verse 4. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. Let's pray together. Father, again, Lord, we just want to pause and pray and praise you. You are the God of peace. Lord, and I know no matter what it is that we've gone through, that we've been through, God, even if it has been a lifetime, Lord, the peace that you bring is available to everyone. God, it's available right now, today. God, I pray for the person, no matter where they are on the spectrum, God, that they would indeed cast all their cares on you. 
because you care for them. But God, I pray today that you would bring peace. God, you would bring that peace that does transcend and does surpass all understanding. God, you would even begin to guard someone's heart and guard their mind. God, that you would begin to renew their mind in the way that the Holy Spirit wants to do. God, would you bring that peace that you brought 2,000 years ago? God, you are making available today, even right now in this room. Holy Spirit, would you bring peace? In Jesus' name, amen. Look, church, if you're taking note, the coming and the coming again of Christ, it brings peace. But see, this is a peace that you have to practice. Number one, write this down. This is a peace that you have to practice. Look what Paul says again in verse four. He says, look, rejoice in the Lord always. He says, I will say it again, rejoice. You know, sometimes you might read stuff like that or hear about things like that in the Bible And you might think, you know what, of course that's easy for Paul to say, living that pastor life, probably driving his Tesla, hanging out on his villa in Greece on the beach while he's sipping a margarita. Of course he can write something like that. But the truth of the matter is, how many of you know what I'm about to tell you about the Apostle Paul, that that was actually the opposite of his life? In fact, it would be the Apostle Paul who actually wasn't writing this from a villa on the beach. He was writing this from jail. In fact, this letter to this Philippian church, it was written while he was in jail for teaching Christ, preaching Christ, and trying to get other people to do the same. In fact, the Apostle Paul, at some points, he would be beaten for knowing Jesus. He would have his life threatened. He would have false teachers come against him, and eventually he would even face execution for knowing Jesus. Now, the church in Philippi was actually doing pretty well, but persecution around them was growing. This is probably one of the most encouraging letters in all of Scripture and all the New Testament, but there was actually even some disunity happening in this church that was causing tension to rise. And Paul actually addresses that, but he also addresses like the persecution is beginning to increase for them. So from jail, in the light of growing disunity, in the light of growing persecution, Paul tells this church to make the choice to rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, he says, make that choice to rejoice. Paul had so much he could have worried about, so much he could have been overwhelmed by, but he had put into practice, he had put into into practice literally setting his mind and setting his heart to make the choice to choose joy in the Lord. Now, again, this isn't the type of, of, of maybe pictures you see sometimes about Christians in life where their house might be burning down and they have like some weird smile on their face. That's not the type of joy that he's talking about. What he's talking about putting into practice is not having our inner attitude be controlled by our outward circumstance. And see, when the Bible repeats a phrase like this over and over, rejoice in the Lord, and Paul says, look, again, I say rejoice, rejoice in the Lord, make this choice to rejoice. Anytime the Bible repeats a phrase over and over and over like this, it is for emphasis. It's like saying, don't miss this. Because so many times, we often do. It's saying, look, heed this exhortation. Heed this warning. Put this into practice. And Paul's saying, look, I tell you, even though I'm in jail right now, 
Even though I have so many overwhelming things that have happened in my life, people have literally tried to kill me. He's saying, look, I'm telling you, as your persecution is increasing, the stressors in your life are increasing. Right now, make the choice to rejoice. Put this into practice. But see, then he adds on this other phrase. Look in verse five. He says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. You know, that that wording right there, reasonableness, it it literally means to be fair-minded, to be charitable, to be gentle in your thoughts. And it's not just in regards to what's ruminating or rolling around in your mind, but it's also in how you are perceiving other people. This gentleness toward others, this fair-mindedness toward others is to be displayed toward others. Church, it is a reminder that even when stress is growing in our life, we need to be careful how we're treating other people. We need to be careful how we're seeing other people. Because even if we are under, we are feeling overwhelmed, even if it's been for a week or a month or a year, Paul says, look, we need to be gentle and fair-minded in our thoughts toward other people. But then he adds on one more phrase to even that. He says, the Lord is at hand. Now, some people really wrestle with, look, this phrase, the Lord is at hand, was Paul talking about the fact that Jesus is with them, that God is with them. He's not going to leave them nor forsake them. Or some people have said the Lord is at hand is a reference to the fact that Jesus is coming back, that his coming is going to be soon, that he's going to take them again no matter what's happening around them or in them. He is going to come back for them. So which one is it? I would dare say it's both. In fact, if you go back and read Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, that's where Paul said, look, he who began a good work in you, he's the one who's going to bring it to completion which is a reminder that he is going to be with you every single step of the way, no matter what it is you're going through. But then in Philippians chapter two, man, Paul does this whole conversation about how, look, he loves to be with the people. He longs to be with them. And even though he's in jail right now, he longs to be with them. But more than anything, he longs to be with Christ. In fact, he even says it is better to be with Christ. So Paul's saying, look, in light of the fact that the Lord is with you, He's not going to leave you. He's not going to abandon you. In light of the fact that he is coming back again, put these things into practice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Think about how you're thinking about toward other people, but make the choice to rejoice. This is something that we have to put into practice. And something about putting this into practice that it brings peace. Man, we don't let our inner attitude be controlled by our outward circumstances. Church, you've heard it said that practice makes perfect, but I want to push back on that and say practice makes progress. There's something about going through when you're feeling overwhelmed, tensions are increasing, stresses are all around you. When you put this into practice, that you actually make progress. Man, this is the type of peace that we're talking about. This is the type of peace that is available right here and right now. But see, not only is this a peace that we have to practice, man, this is a peace that is also built through prayer and petition. 
This is a peace that through prayer and petition and seeking the Lord is built. Look again what he says here in verse six of chapter four. He says, do not be anxious about anything. Now pause right there for a moment. Have any of you guys who, how many of you guys have heard this verse before? Raise your hand up. You've heard this verse before. Okay, I think most people in the room probably have. Have any of you guys ever gotten to that verse and just paused for a second and stopped for a second? Really? Anything. Do not be anxious about anything. And sometimes it's almost like if you're anything like me, you want to turn back around and say, God, have you not seen how much coffee costs nowadays? And you're saying to not be anxious about anything. God, have you not seen what my relationship status is right now or lack thereof and how much I want to be in a relationship or how much I want my current relationship to change? And God, you're saying to not be anxious about anything. God, do you not see the choices that my kids are making right now? God, they're the ones who are keeping me up at night at 2 a.m. And you're saying to not be anxious about anything? God, do you not see what it is that we're going through here and right now? The other day, we were driving down Kentsville Road, and um, we have a uh, 2014 Honda Odyssey. And they say that Hondas are supposed to last forever. But uh, we were driving down the road on Kentsville Road, and we were at a light. And then after the light changed, I accelerated, and there was a clunk. And it wasn't like a, you know, hard shift in the transmission I literally thought either I hit a pothole or my engine just fell out of the car. And it didn't just happen one time. Every time we hit a stoplight or a stop sign, from first gear to second gear, there was a loud clunk where the whole car jerked. You want to know what my first thought was when that happened? It wasn't, God, the peace that you're giving me right now is so good. God, I'm so glad about this thing my car is doing. I love it. My first thought was, oh, no, it's the transmission. This is going to cost $5,000. I'm going to have to pay for it for the rest of my life. None of my kids are ever going to go to college, and they're going to live with us forever. I could feel the anxiety and worry growing in me and begin to ruminate around in my mind. But look back again at verse 6. Notice that Paul doesn't say that you will not be anxious in anything. In fact, anxiousness is a normal emotion. Like we said earlier, it even spans a spectrum. And sometimes when we let these thoughts roll around in our mind, when we begin to think them or feel them, it can be an alarm for us. And see, an anxiety can serve as an alarm, or it can begin to serve as Lord. Paul is saying, don't let it be Lord in your life. He even goes as far to say, look, there is a peace that is available that is beyond understanding. Even if there's something present in your life, like persecution or being in trouble for teaching Jesus, or when your check engine light comes on, whatever the stressors are, Paul says, turn those thoughts to the Savior. This is what brings peace. And when we think about peace, a lot of times we do think about it, it actually means the absence of war. A lot of times we think peace is the absence of conflict. And in the Bible, it does mean that. 
There's so many times like it does mean, look, this is the absence of conflict, the absence of war, but the peace that the Bible primarily talks about is something a little bit different. In fact, in the Old Testament, you'll see the word shalom, which is translated peace. And it's just like what Pastor Hunter read last week out of Numbers chapter 6, verse 24, and we sang that song called The Blessing. And that verse in Numbers chapter 6, verse 24, where the priests were supposed to pray this and um, say this over the people, where the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you and to give you peace. Like the whole buildup of that is that it leads to this completion. In fact, in the New Testament, the word is arene. And it's a word used right here in Philippians chapter 4, verse 7. And literally, church, like it means completeness. It means wholeness. It means that you're going to have everything you need. Paul says this is the type of peace that's available to you. This is the type of peace that will make you complete, that will make sure that you have everything you need, no matter what it is that's happening around you. In fact, right here, Paul even talks about how this peace that God wants for you, that's available to you, how to access it is through prayer, which simply is a conversation with the Lord. But then he also adds this word supplication. Now, depending on the translation you're reading, it might say prayer and supplication or prayer and petition. And when we're talking about petition here, petition is when you are actually leaning into that prayer life. When you realize, look, Look, God, I am desperate for you. And you're spending time with him in prayer, seeking him maybe more than you usually do. Like when he says prayer there, that's our regular conversation, everyday conversation with the Lord. But a petition may be something that you know that you desperately need his help in. So instead of, again, letting those thoughts ruminate in your mind, have control over you, lead you, and even be Lord over you, you instead turn to prayer and even petition, saying, God, I don't need that worry to make me desperate. I am desperate for you. And he even goes on to say, you know what, if you add thanksgiving into that, because, again, you practice making the choice to rejoice. I know what you might be saying right now. Andrew, are you really saying that the help that I need for my PTSD is prayer? Are you really saying that this worry that's been growing in me that I literally feel in my body, that the answer for that is prayer? Are you really saying these anxious thoughts about my kids that I've been worrying about them for so many years, that the answer to that is simply praying, praying and petitioning and thanking God? Church, remember, mental health, emotional health is spiritual health. There's something about when you turn your thoughts and your mind toward God that he brings in peace. He even begins to heal you. I I read this quote from this um, lady named Dr. Caroline Leaf a little bit earlier as I was preparing for this message. And it's so interesting when, the, when, when science finds out what God has already been doing. And Dr. Caroline Leaf, she is a Christian. She's a psychiatrist. She's a brain doctor, whatever the term for that is. And she has all these other titles after her name. But she said this about prayer. And listen to this, especially right now, if you're still wondering if all this Jesus stuff can really make a difference in your life, listen to what she says here. I'm going to read her whole quote, what she says about prayer. She says, it has been found that 12 minutes 
of daily focused prayer over an eight-week period can change the brain to such an extent that it can be measured on a brain scan. This type of prayer seems to increase activity in brain areas associated with social interaction and compassion and sensitivity toward others. Does that, does that not sound like let your reasonableness be known to everyone? How you're treating other people, even if you are in a season of anxiety or worry or concern? And she goes on to say it also increases the frontal lobe activity as focus and intentionality increase. Therefore, even though, listen to this, this is so good. Even though toxic thoughts can cause brain damage, prayer can reverse that damage and cause the brain and the body to thrive. Church, this is that peace that God is talking about. The peace that even in the most stressful situations that if you put it into practice, if you build it up through prayer and petition and thanksgiving, this is the peace that God is talking about. This isn't something that's cliche. As you seek the Lord, he can literally heal your mind. This is the peace that's available to you right now. But see, this is also a peace that is designed to change your perspective. This is a piece that God has brought in and he makes it available and it is designed to change your very perspective. Listen again what, Peter, what Paul says right here in verse eight. He says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, look, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is anything that is excellent, if there is anything that is worthy of praise, you need to think about these things. He says, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace, Jehovah Shalom, Rene, the God of peace will be with you. Church, this is a type of peace that does change our perspective. But again, look at what Paul says here. Look, this is the type of peace that you have to put in the work. He's saying, look, think about these things. Ruminate on these things. He says, put these things into practice. Put them into practice in your life. Uh, there's a doctor named Donald Hebb who's also a psychologist, psychiatrist, neuroscientist, and he says this about our minds. He had something called Hebb's Law, and he said it's from neuroscience, and it states that cells that fire together wire together. And that really, pretty much what that means is that every time you think or do something, it becomes easier to think or do that same thing. And the more you repeat this process, the harder it is to break the self-perpetuating cycle. Church, it's time to change the cycle in your mind. Paul says, get those cells to fire together and wire together in the, in the very direction that the Holy Spirit wants for you. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just and pure and lovely and good and worthy of praise, ruminate on those things. You know, it was a, a few years ago, I was getting ready to help relaunch a campus in Fredericksburg, Virginia. And our church had raised over $300,000 to be able to plant that campus in Virginia. And we had found this building. We're going to renovate the inside, move the launch team in there, and then relaunch this church in Fredericksburg, Virginia. 
And the contractor had told us, and we, we got the place in June, and we met with the contractor. And in June, the contractor told us, look, three to four months, because this is already a pre-existing building, three to four months, you will be in that building. So our plan as a church was to have this December launch, because we want to give the contractor at least uh, an extra month, because sometimes when you're working with a contractor, it goes longer than expected. So we thought we would give them an extra month to be able to finish up whatever they might need, and then we're going to move people into the building in October and then do like this, this grand launch in December um, and move everyone in there. And then during that time, too, my wife and I, we were going through the process of adopting our little girl from India, and we were trying to finish all the paperwork. We were trying to get everything done because we also wanted to bring her home in December. We were praying for that, begging God for that, doing everything we could to work toward that. Church, to say it was like a stressful time in my life was an understatement. Trying to get this building ready, trying to adopt a child from another country. And I'll never forget when we first got the call that said, it will not be December that you get to bring your little girl home. But not only that, we got a call from the contractor. Contractor said that all the inspections are being delayed by the city. Uh, inspectors are in short demand, whatever it was, but it would not be December that we would get to move in. It was going to be probably sometime, didn't even give a month, sometime next year. And I can remember at that point, we had already did door hangers saying coming in December. We had already had some mailers sent out that said coming in December. We had already done some community events that said coming in December. In fact, after that, I can remember one time just driving down the street in Fredericksburg, Virginia, rolling down my window and saying, just kidding, we're not coming in December. Church, during that time, I was so overwhelmed. And I remember thinking because of this delay, all these thoughts started to ruminate in my mind. I could literally feel the stress in my heart and in my body. I can remember thinking the church is probably not going to trust me again. The people in the church probably aren't going to trust us again. Are we always going to be on a delay? Will we ever get into this place? Will, did we somehow miss the calling of God? Is this what he really wanted? Did we completely miss it? Are we never going to be able to do the things that God has called us to do? I remember feeling so stressed, so anxious. And like oftentimes, we were actually in part of the Bible. We were looking at God's word during that time. And in our small group, we were studying the life of David. And we were studying how King David, he had some major delays that caused anxiety to grow in him, fears to grow in him, kings chasing after him, trying to kill him, even though he was supposed to be king. And during that time, we were reading this passage in, in Psalm chapter 16, verse 8. And I can remember there was one time I was driving down the road. If you think traffic is bad here in this area. Just go up to Northern Virginia and hang out there for a day. So with the stress, the added stress of traffic, all these thoughts ruminating around in my mind, and not to mention that night too, we were having our small group. I told everyone in the small group to memorize this verse, and I hadn't memorized it yet. So you know what I did to at least take some of the pressure off? I decided to try to at least memorize this verse so I can look good in front of my small group. And so as I've often done before, I decided to put it in song form, okay? And I promise you, this is the last time I'm going to sing any song to you the rest of this year. <laughs> 2023 is coming. But as I'm driving down the road, church, I'm, I'm telling you, I felt so overwhelmed, so anxious, 
so worried. But this verse that we've been studying is found in Psalm 16, verse 8. And it simply says, I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I would not be shaken. So I'm stuck in traffic, worried about bringing our daughter home, worried about getting in this building. Will people ever trust us again? Did we miss the call of God? Literally feeling it in my bones. God said, turn your mind toward me. I started singing, I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him and my right hand, I will not be shaken. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him and my right hand, I will not be shaken. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him and my right hand, I will not be shaken. Church, in that moment, I didn't get a call from the contractor that said, just kidding, you'll be in there tomorrow. We didn't get a call from our adoption agency that said, hey, go ahead and book your plane tickets. And I still don't fully know how to explain this unless you put it into practice. There is something about turning my heart and my mind toward God's word that actually brought peace. My perspective changed in that moment, even though everything else around me did not change. And there's something about when you let the word of God change your perspective that he brings in this peace that surpasses all understanding. Church, you need to practice it. You need to seek it and build it through prayer and petition and with thanksgiving. You need to let this peace change your perspective, but also one more thing. You need to see that this is a peace that provides. It's through this peace that God brings his provision. You know, Paul later on in this passage in verses 13, he would talk about how, you know, we need to find our, it's through Christ that we find our strength. And then in verse 19, he even said, look, my God will supply every one of your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Now, some prosperity preachers at this point would say, not only will God calm your anxious thoughts, but he'll also give you a Bentley too as well. But we don't teach that here at Coastal. But what he wants to give you, what he will supply for you, according to his riches in Christ, is that shalom, is that reine, is completeness, it is wholeness. I know I'll probably give you so many stats today, but there was a Penn State study that actually shows that people, when they worry and they're anxious and fearful about something, that most of the times those things never actually happen. In fact, in their study, they found that 92% of what we worry about and feel dread about never actually come to fruition. Church, why do we give so much room in our minds to all of these concerns that more than likely will not happen? But why will we not instead create new neural pathways that change our perspective? God has provided us some tools to be able to fight anxiety, okay? He's given us some tools to be able to fight anxiety and actually bring peace. I don't have these in your notes, but I want you to write these down. And as you're looking at these different things, I want you to think, which one of these tools do you need right now? Maybe it's not all of them that you need to put into practice right now. Maybe it's even just one. 
but God's peace is available to you today. The first one is counseling, and I put slash church and slash community, because right now, what you may need right now, depending on how much, where you're at on the spectrum, you might just need the church to come around you. You may need to see a good counselor or doctor. Uh, You may just need people who are going to encourage you and pray for you. But again, you don't have to go through this alone. You're not the only one going through that. So would you surround yourself with community or get the help that you need? And I promise you, again, as a church, we want to help you do that. In John chapter 15, Jesus says, look, you need to love one another in the same way that I have loved you, to care for one another. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 14, talks about how there is wisdom, there is comfort in a multitude of wise counselors. Second tool that God gives us, a weapon that he gives us to fight anxiety and to bring peace is resting in prayer. Again, church, I want to challenge you that maybe what you need to do today, like to overcome that anxiety or extreme worry that's been happening in your life, is to let your new ones fire together in a different way. What if you just set your timer for 12 minutes today, turned off the TV, turned off the notification on your phone, and you took some time and you prayed 12 minutes straight? And maybe you need to go back and listen to our prayer series we did a few weeks ago. We need to praise God for who he is, repent of any sin. Ask him for what you need, and then submit everything to him. But what if you began for the next eight weeks, every single day, to have 12 minutes of focused prayer? What God might do in your mind. You, he might change everything in a situation, which also gives us another weapon, which is ruminating on God's word. Again, I, I really hope you know that when we talk about memorizing God's word, this isn't just something you do, but it literally becomes who you are. When you learn God's word, when you let it rest in your mind, when you let it rest in your heart, man, sometimes when you're anxious, man, God brings those things back to mind. Again, he renews your mind. Even church, if it's been years that you've thought this way, you are not broken. God can bring renewal. Romans chapter 12, verse 2, he even says, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but instead be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Today, that peace is available to you if you will let him renew your mind. But not only do we need to ruminate on God's word, but also number four, a renewable mind is available to you. And again, you are not broken. He can renew your mind, create new neural pathways. And then the very last one, the weapon that he's given us, that I want to challenge you to maybe to put into practice, to take hold of, is worship and singing. Now, again, you may think, okay, this is one of those crazy church things, worship and singing. I'm not supposed to go sing some songs. But don't forget, when you worship the Lord, you are redirecting your thoughts and your heart toward him. There's a story in the book of 2 Chronicles where King Jehoshaphat, he was going to fight this huge army, and he didn't know what to do. All, all these enemies of Israel were coming against them. In fact, in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 12, he says, Oh, our God, you, will you not execute judgment on them? Talking about the enemies. For, he says, for we are powerless against this horde that is coming against us. He says, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Jehoshaphat would go ahead and he would tell the people after seeking the Lord that what we need to do, because we don't know what's going to happen, 
as a, literally an enemy is coming to attack them, that they're feeling overwhelmed so much so that they don't, want to, don't know what to do. All they can do is turn their eyes toward the Lord. He said, I'm going to send out some people to sing. And in verse 20, he says, believe in the Lord your God. You will be established. Again, keep your eyes always on the Lord. He says, believe his prophets and you will succeed. And when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed to those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire. As they went before the army and say, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. And when, when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah so that they were routed. Church, I'm telling you right now, some of us in this room, we've had seasons or even right now where we've let anxiety and worry overwhelm us. I mean, God wants to rout that anxiety and worry instead. You have some weapons available for you. They're available to you right now. Will you use them? Will you let that peace that transcends all understanding guard your heart and guard your mind? And as our worship team goes ahead and makes their way forward and comes back up to the stage, I just want to say maybe you're sitting in this room right now, you've never trusted Jesus Christ as the Lord and leader of your life. Maybe you've been searching for peace again in so many other things, so many other places. But that shalom peace, the peace that makes you whole, the peace that makes you complete, is only found in trusting Christ. Jesus, who is God, came into this earth to die on the cross for your sin, and three days later, God bodily rose him from the dead. Today, will you make it the day that you trust him, that you use the tool of the gospel to push back against anxiety and fear and worry and trust everything you are to the Lord? And would you go ahead and bow your heads and close your eyes? And if you're sitting in this room today, man, you're just ready to trust Jesus as Savior, right where you are, will you just pray the simple prayer? Would you pray, Jesus, I want your peace. Jesus, would you forgive me of my sin? God, would you free me from worry and anxiety? Jesus, I believe you are God. You died for me. You bodily rose from the dead. I believe you. Would you be the Lord and leader of my life? And then if you're sitting here today and, and you are just been overwhelmed in this season by worry or anxiety or fear, would you just raise your hand up so I can pray for you? Would you raise your hand up so I can pray for you? Again, I, I want you to know you are not alone. In what you're going through and what you've been through. But this is a piece you got to put into practice. This is a peace that you have to build through prayer and petition and thanksgiving. This is a prayer that you have to let the Holy Spirit of God change your perspective. But God has provided you with some tools. Will you use them? Will you let him build something new in you? Father God, I thank you, Lord, for who you are. God, I thank you for a peace that surpasses all understanding. God, even though things around us may not change. God, you can change what's happening on the inside. God, I thank you that you are God who provides. I thank you, God, that if we keep our eyes on you, if we look to you, God, if we even make the choice to rejoice in you, 
even if everything around us is falling apart, God, I, I still don't fully understand how that works, but Lord, you bring peace. God, this is a peace that makes us complete and whole. God, would you help us to rest in that peace, to seek in it? But God, I pray that someone in here today who's been wrestling with this for a long time, God, I pray that today will be the day that they will begin to feel that peace that transcends all understanding. Lord, change us. Make new neural pathways in our mind where those thoughts of anxiety aren't ruminating around, but instead the thoughts of you are. How we love you. We desperately need you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to stand and sing one more song.